right, we are going to continue our sermon series through the book of Acts, and uh, we're, we're in sort of this mini-series for three weeks in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, or if you want to grab one of the red ones nearby, we're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So we're in this quick mini-series looking at the three things in which the early church, the first disciples of Jesus, were devoted to. And we began last week looking at how the early church was devoted to the teaching of the apostles. This week we're looking at how they were devoted to the fellowship. And next week we're going to look at the early disciples being devoted to worship. Now remember, we've been looking at the story of Acts, which is the story of Jesus, who has died, been brought back to life, accomplishing for us our salvation, and then commissioning his disciples into the world, to the ends of the world, to take the message of the gospel, the message of salvation through Jesus alone, into all the nations. That is why we are here today, is because disciples of Jesus from generation after generation have obeyed this command, have obeyed this commission to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And we as a church, we understand that we are stepping into that story. We have our own role to play of advancing the kingdom of God in Mayfield Heights and Highland Heights and Mayfield Village and Lyndhurst and all over the east side of Cleveland. We have a role to play. And so that's why we're looking at the book of Acts, to learn from the first disciples what does it look like to be part of this global mission for Christ. And so we're looking today at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and we're going to be looking at how the early disciples were devoted to the fellowship. And remember, in all of these things, in being devoted to the word of God, being devoted to one another, and being devoted to worship, Luke tells us that daily, daily, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. And that's such a good reminder for us. That evangelism, sharing the gospel with non-Christians, was not a separate ministry of the church. It was embedded into everything that the church did. It wasn't like that they had Sunday morning worship and Bible studies and mercy ministry and counseling and evangelism. No. When they gathered on Sundays, they were sharing the gospel. When they gathered in their homes, they were sharing the gospel. When they connected with their neighbors, they were sharing the gospel. In everything that the early church was doing, they were sharing the gospel. And so this morning, as we look at being devoted to fellowship, let us always keep in mind that the goal is not only to be disciples, but to make disciples too. And that's what we're going to look at today, being devoted to one another. And as we do that, the Lord will bless us so that we can continue to be a blessing to our neighbors. So the structure of our, uh, our sermon, if you want to follow along on your bulletin, write down some questions and notes. It's the same three questions we looked at last week and we'll look at next week also. And it's first is, what were they devoted to? What did that look like for them, and what might that mean for us? First, what were they devoted to? Second, what did that look like for them? And third, what might that look like for us? 
So let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Father God, we pray now that you would bless your word going into our hearts this morning. Would you illumine our understanding of what it means to be part of the fellowship, part of the body of Christ. So spirit, fall on us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In my office, I've got some bookshelves. I've talked about them before. They're not very good. Uh, but on the bookshelves are a number of books. And there's this specific shelf that are filled with books about church leadership, church management, church size dynamics. You know, they teach me, you know, how to run small groups. They teach me how to do pastoral counseling that builds up the body. They teach me you know, when you're at 60 people in the church, you have to operate like this. But then when you're at 200, you have to operate like that. But then when you're at 2,000, you have to operate like that. I've got a lot of books that try to teach me how to run a church. And each of these books are convinced that the model that they are proposing is the right model. Some of them compete against one another, but everyone's convinced this is the way to do church. But if we were to go to the book of Acts and ask Luke, the author, Luke, how do you want us to do our church? We would be disappointed because he is not going to give us a blueprint. He's not going to tell us, hey, you know, uh, after six months, you have to start doing this. And then when you get to 25 people or 60 people or 100 people, then you have to develop like that. Luke is not so much concerned about a specific model of church. Rather, Luke is showing us, through all of his book, the heart behind the church. And it's here in chapter 2, verse 42, that we see what is at the heart of this early church. We looked last week at being devoted to the word, but this week we see that the early church was devoted to the fellowship. That's what they were devoted to, to the fellowship. And that word fellowship, it means just this. It is a group of people bound together, committed to one another and to a task before them. A fellowship is a group of people bound together, committed to one another and committed to the task in front of them. I like to think of the first movie or the first book of The Lord of the Rings. It's entitled The Fellowship of the Ring. Because it's about a group of people who have come together, bound themselves to one another for a specific task to take the ring 
to Mount Doom to destroy it. And we see that these people are committed to one another. They fight alongside each other. They defend one another. Sometimes they have to challenge the other person when there's a lack of loyalty. They will even die for one another. That is a fellowship. Or think of the miniseries Band of Brothers, which follows this group of soldiers while they're trained and then deployed and then they grow together and serve together and fight together, defending one another. That was a fellowship. And so we see that the early church was devoted to the fellowship. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be part of a fellowship, to be part of the people of God who have been bound together by their common faith in Jesus and are committed to one another as they are committed to the task in front of them, which is to take the gospel to the ends of the world. To be a follower of Jesus is to be part of a fellowship. The, the Bible talks about us being part of the body of believers, committed to one another like a body, which has different parts, but all connected, all part of one body. I've said this before, and I'll say it again and again. There is no such thing, according to the Bible, as individual Christianity. There is no such thing as a private Christianity. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to be bound to the body of Jesus. To put it simply, fellowship is following Jesus together. To be part of the fellowship is to be following Jesus together. That is what we are a part of as his church. That is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Look, the hand has a certain function, and the foot has another function. The shoulder has another function. There's, there's tons of different functions of the body, but they are all necessary and important for the body to function. Another illustration that the Bible uses to talk about this fellowship is he, the Bible, the apostles will call us a building. The church is a building, not, not four walls that we meet with on Sunday, but a building, a temple being built together as a dwelling place for God. That each one of us are like bricks and stones stacked upon each other so that together we create this place where God comes and dwells. And every brick is important. Look, if the bricks at the bottom start shaking, that's going to affect the whole wall. Or if bricks at the top start falling apart, that is going to create an effect for the whole wall. Every brick is important and necessary for the temple to be built up. And what makes this temple, this building, so strong and so glorious, the way that the Bible talks about it, is because at the base of this building is the cornerstone, and that is Jesus. And every brick is aligned to the cornerstone, lined up with him, set upon him. He is the foundation of this building. Or talk about the, the body. Christ is the head of the body. That every 
every member of the body finds its function in being connected to the head. Because it is the, from the head that the body has direction and guidance and vitality. Jesus is the foundation of this fellowship that we are a part of. In fact, it is because each one of us are connected to Jesus that then we are connected to one another. It is our union with Christ through faith that unites us to one another. And so what that looks like is when one member of the body is hurting, the whole body hurts. When one member of the body is celebrating, the whole body celebrates. We are intertwined with one another. We have a responsibility to be in the lives of one another. In the early church, this meant that as people were coming to the community daily, they were immediately brought in and made a vital part of who they were. I mean, Luke has told us that there are over 3,000 people now, and daily the Lord is adding to them. And yet the fellowship grew and grew. It's because every part of this body understood that every other part of this body is so important and vital. They'd come together and they'd say, hey, there's someone new. I want to make sure that they feel welcomed as part of the body of Christ. They said, I've been coming for a while, but I I haven't yet said hi to that person yet. I'm going to go say hi to them. They've been coming for a while and they say, Man, it feels like I'm just showing up and taking a bunch of stuff in, but I haven't yet invested my life into the lives of one another. And so they move towards one another. To be part of the body of Christ, to be part of the fellowship, means that to be a Christian is to be part of one another's lives. That we are following Jesus together. So when one person hurts, the whole city hurts. The whole community hurts. When one person celebrates, the whole community celebrates. They looked out for one another. They understood that they were responsible for the lives of one another. This leads me to my second question. What did it look like for them? What did it look like to be part of the fellowship in the early church? Look with me at verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Each member of the fellowship understood that they were their brother's keeper. They were their sister's keeper. When another disciple was in need, they figured out how can we help them? How can we pull together our resources to be a blessing to this brother and sister? They would sell their property and their belongings, and whatever money they had, they'd pull together and say, let us help you out of this situation. This doesn't mean that there was no private property. We, we see throughout the book of Acts that Christians met in their homes. They still owned their property. This is not a communist community where the the property really belonged to the group. Now, everyone still maintained ownership of their own things, but when there was a need that arose, they all said, how can I use what I have to bless this brother, to bless this sister? 
John Calvin, the, the great reformer, said about this verse, he said, we must relieve the poverty of our brethren with our own plenty. We must relieve the poverty of our brethren with our own plenty. To be devoted to the fellowship means to have eyes to see where is my brother and sister hurting and how has God blessed me to help them. This might look like financially helping one another out. You know, this might, this might look like saying, you just lost your job. Let me help you pay for your bills until you can get back up on your feet. Maybe it's, hey, you can't pay your mortgage anymore, but I've got a spare room. Come, stay with us until we can help you get back on your feet. Maybe this is, hey, you're sick and you can't make your own food. You can't get out. Let us make a meal and bring that over and care for you. We need to have eyes to see how has the Lord blessed us so that we can bless others amongst us when there is great need. I am really excited that as we grow as a church, one of the things that I'm really excited about doing is establishing a mercy fund in our annual budget and having money allocated specifically for addressing the needs of our church and having a group of leaders overseeing that and saying, how can we be a blessing to one another? That is what the church is called to do, to be a community in which no one is in poverty and that the plenty, the blessings that the Lord has given us go towards relieving one another of that poverty. But this principle is true beyond financial needs. This isn't just true when people struggling with money. No, this is true across the board. There's a, a book called When Helping Hurts, and it's about how to alleviate poverty without harming the poor or yourself. It's a great book, and the authors say this about what poverty really is. They say poverty is the result of brokenness in the fundamental relationships in life. Poverty is brokenness in the fundamental relationships in life with, with God, with ourselves, with one another, and with the world around us. Poverty is any breaking of those relationships. And so we can have spiritual poverty, a lack of intimacy with God. We can have poverty within ourselves, a lack of self-awareness or a sense of identity. Poverty in how we relate to one another. Broken relationships is a form of poverty. And obviously, poverty with how we steward the resources around us, not just money. And so if that is what poverty is, then we each have something lacking. Every one of us in the body of Christ is poor in some way. It is the responsibility of one another to relieve that poverty with the plenty that God has given us. You know, one example of poverty that this book lays out for us uh, that you might not think as poverty, but I think is true, especially in the middle, upper middle class community here on the east side of Cleveland, and that's overworking. Overworking 
is a sense of poverty. The authors say this. In our 21st century North American context, workaholism is often mistaken as a virtue. But it's a major problem. This is not how God designed us to be. A high level of productivity makes it unlikely that people in mainstream America will ever experience material poverty. But this poverty of stewardship has serious consequences nonetheless. It strains relationships with family and friends. It makes us physically and emotionally sick. It weakens us spiritually by robbing us of a meaningful devotional life. Overworking reflects a broken relationship with creation. God made us to work in his world and to glorify him through our labor, but we've made work into a God and have tried to find meaning, purpose, and worth by being productive. Every one of us has poverty to one degree or another, and every one of us has plenty. The job of the early church, the job of this church, was to find ways in which we can relieve the poverty of one another with that plenty. And the early church knew that there were two things that needed to happen for this to work. First, we have to be people who take an honest examination of our own poverty. We have to take an honest examin examination of the broken relationships that we have with God, yes, with ourselves also, with one another, and with the world around us. You know, our Father, our Heavenly Father is so gracious that if we would pray and say, Lord, would you reveal to us our sin? He'll always answer that question. He'll always bless that prayer. So let us take an honest examination of our own poverty and let's bring that into the community. Let's be honest about who we really are. But then secondly, let us be a people that have eyes to see where our brothers and sisters are and move towards them and bless them. Maybe that is offering spiritual advice and wisdom when they are going through a tough decision. Maybe that is supporting them financially for a season to help them in a crisis. Maybe that is being a family for someone who is alone and without family. Maybe that is opening up your house during a time of great disconnection where people are striving for relationships. To be devoted to the fellowship is to say, Lord, how have you blessed us? And then where are we lacking? And how can we be a community that meets those needs for one another? So what does that look like for us today at Story Church? Well, first, let me just say, COVID-19 has just changed the game. I mean, it's so hard to talk about community to talk about fellowship without ignoring, without addressing, sorry, this elephant in the room. I mean, the, the whole playbook has had to be rewritten. The same things that we could have done a year ago, we can't do anymore. Let us mourn that reality. Let us accept and realize that it has changed. COVID has severely affected our ability to grow 
not only as a fellowship here, but also to connect with those on the outside of the church. But COVID-19 has not canceled this part. It has not canceled this devotion. It has not canceled our need to be with one another. And in fact, I think that it has highlighted it. It has stressed the importance of connection. It was interesting, this last year, the U.S. Marines invested millions of dollars into an ad agency to help them do a new brand of marketing. And the ad agency actually got back to them last February with this new plan, and they've been releasing these videos and commercials, recruiting new people all during this pandemic. And the, the marketing plan was called Battle to Belong. A battle to belong. And they were addressing this reality that in a world where we are more connected now than ever before with cell phones and social media and everything that can connect us, we are also the most isolated people that have ever lived. And this recruitment video said, come and join a fellowship. Come and find a belonging, a purpose, a mission to fight for. A band of brothers and sisters who will have your back. The battle to belong begins now. Friends, the Spirit has already told us that. We don't have to spend millions of dollars at an ad agency to tell us the battle to belong is now. So what is that going to look like for us at Story Church? Well, I think the most practical way is for each one of us to ask this one simple question. What is my next step? here at Story Church. What is my next step towards community here at Story Church? What is my next step towards the mission of Story Church? And everyone's got a different answer. I think for some, that next step is saying hi to someone that they haven't said hi to yet. For others, that step is Maybe it's calling someone up, texting them, say, hey, let's go grab coffee. Let's have you over for dinner. I want to get to know you deeper. But maybe for you, your next step is, hey, these story groups that Jeremy keeps talking about, I'm going to really commit to one of those. I'm going to start learning how to connect with one another in those groups. I'm going to learn to live life with them. I'm going to follow Jesus together with them. What is your next step at Story Church? I think that's the most practical thing. But also, to be devoted to the fellowship, I said it earlier, it is simply this, to follow Jesus together. To follow Jesus together. If you think of, if you ever go to like a, a railroad track and it goes off forever, off to the horizon, what happens to those railroads? that, that They come together, right? So as we grow together following Jesus, we come closer to cl and closer together. To follow Jesus together is to come side by side with fellow disciples of Jesus and say, let's do this together. That looks like learning about God and Jesus and yourself together. It means sharing with one another what God is revealing to you in your word, in the word of God as you spend time in it. 
sharing with one another, encouraging them something that you heard on a podcast or that God had revealed to you in prayer. Sharing with one another, encouraging one another together as you learn more about who God is. Following Jesus together also looks like praying together. And that's praying for one another by yourself, but also coming together in prayer, saying, hey, how can I be praying for you this week? Calling someone up and saying, I'm facing something really challenging tomorrow at work. Can you pray for me as I fall asleep and that the Lord would bless my decision as I go into tomorrow's busy day? Texting someone saying, hey, man, I'm really struggling. Would you pray for me right now? Being willing to say, I can't do this by myself. Would you pray with me? Following Jesus together means praying together. Following Jesus together also means confessing our sin together. And it's so important every week we do this that we confess our sins to God because ultimately our sin is against God. But to be part of the fellowship of God's body in Christ is to confess our sin to one another. Not just the sins that we've committed against our brother, we should absolutely do that, but going to our brother who is loving and supportive and gracious and saying, hey man, I really messed up here. I just need to confess that to you. I need to get that off of my chest. I need you to remind me that God loves me. Confess our sins together. I think that is so challenging in today's culture to be part of a community that is honest about sin, to be honest about our own failures. But following Jesus together looks like being honest about our sin with one another. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote this fantastic book about life together in the Christian community, says this. He says, fellowship is not being together in the company of the devout, but true Christian fellowship is being partners in the company of the undevout. To be partners in the company of sinners. That is what the church is. That is what Story Church is. A community, not of the devout, but of the undevout. A community of sinners. That is who we are. And that is what makes us a fellowship. Is that we come together as sinners in need of God's mercy. In need of God's grace together. If we are not confessing our sin to one another then we are not being a true fellowship because a true Christian fellowship is being partners in a community of sinners. He goes on to say this. The grace of the gospel says this. You are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come, come as the sinner that you are. Come to God who loves you. He wants you as you are. He doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want a sacrifice. He doesn't want your works. No, he wants you alone. God has come to you to save you, the sinner that you are. So be glad. Be glad that you are a sinner because Christ Jesus has come into this world to save sinners. And he has gathered us up together he has called us his own. He has set us apart and said, you now be devoted to one another, 
show this world what it means to be a fellowship of sinners saved by grace. And when we do that, well, then we can do the last thing that it means to follow Jesus together, and we can come and worship him together. We can come here on Sundays and lift up our voices and praise him together because no one in this room, no one in this room is beyond the need of salvation. No one is beyond the need of God's mercy. And when we are honest about that, we can come and worship together. We can come, lift up our voices, hear his word read over us, pray to him in humble exaltation, and we can come to the table where he promises to be with us. We call this the Lord's Supper, but we also call it communion. Because when we come and partake of this meal, we are united to Jesus and united to one another as fellow sinners saved by grace. That is the purpose of this meal, to come together as the fellowship, to be reminded that Jesus Christ came into this world as flesh and bone to identify with us in our weakness, our failures. And as we, we read earlier, he was rejected so that we might be embraced. His shoulders carried our sin. His hands were pierced with nails because of our sins. And when we have faith in Jesus, we are not only united to him, but united to every member of his body. So let us come together, remembering that we are sinners together, remembering of our faith in Jesus together, that in him we are washed and covered together, that we can come and worship together. To be part of the fellowship is to be committed to one another and then committed to the task in front of us. And that is to be his disciples together and to make disciples together. That is what Jesus has called us to do and to be because we are united to him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you gave up your life so that we might have new life. But that new life now, Lord, is lived in the context of this community that you have gathered together. Lord, we pray that you would continue to send your spirit that unites us in our faith, that unites us in our identity as beloved children of your Father and our Father in heaven. O oh, merciful Father, you have blessed us richly with your mercy and your grace. We pray now that we would be your body here in this world, devoted to one another, devoted to the mission that you've called us on. For the good of our neighbors and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.